Hello, and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Bruce Snell, the Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy and Transformation at NTT. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome, Kelsey. Glad to have you guys both on the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, I have a question, of course, uh, Bruce, since you're in the uh, cybersecurity realm of the mm-hmm. uh, the <laughs> I, I haven't heard it said out loud, but the log four uh, J flaw that people right. are talking about. This is uh, uh, apparently a huge vulnerability that's uh, that, that's out there, and uh, one of the one of the thing, one of the quotes that keeps coming up over and over again is that it, there was some uh, cybersecurity expert that said it was one of the you know one of the worst vulnerabilities she's ever seen. Um, first of all, have you heard of this? And second of all, uh, what's your take on 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 what's going on on a on a in a uh, a flaw like this? Uh, you know, in our in our sort yeah. of core infrastructure. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, um, yeah, I, I have heard of it. I've I've actually just been amongst my colleagues been referring to it as Logjam. That's my <laughs> that's my nickname for it. Um, I don't know if it, if it if it if that catches on, we're going to credit you guys first as uh, as the source. Excellent. Um, yeah. So so yeah, we we've I've actually been on a number of discussions uh, with my clients about this uh, this particular vulnerability because um, it's a big concern, right? And this. It's kind of one of these things where um, it highlights or it kind of illustrates the issues with the supply chain, right? Because you think about, you know, Apache is such a core component of basically any web service, right? I mean, it's been around for for decades, right? It's it's it when back when I was a, a, a systems administrator at the early days of my career, I was you know configuring an Apache server, right? I mean, it's been it's been around forever. Um, and as such, you know, is, is kind of baked in as part of an industry standard, if you're going with an open source, um, you know, web service of any sort, um, it, it, it is kind of the go-to and it's interesting, you know, now that I actually kind of say it out loud, um, you know, when, when I started, it was as, you know, using it as a web server, but the whole concept of a web server itself kind of is, has the, the edges of freight a little bit. Right, with so many things being, you know, these web services and, and being web enabled, um, that you know, you may have a web server running in your, you know, your your fitness tracker, right, or or what right. have you, your toaster, right? Yeah. Um, I know I specifically have one in my my network attached storage that's running my, you know, holding all my media storage, right, and it's they're they're ubiquitous, right? So right. A, a vulnerability in something as core as Apache it has huge impact, right, and this. This is something that we've been seeing over the past, you know, past few years. Um, there's been some huge examples, right? I mean, we look at Kaseya this last year, and we look at yeah. SolarWinds previously. Um, all of these things kind of illustrate a bigger issue, I think, that's building and is going to come to heads pretty soon, which is vulnerabilities in the overall supply chain, right? So it's not so much, you know, now. It's not so much do I, you know, as a, if I'm looking as a CISO or, you know, if I'm in charge, I'm a head of security at some organization, mm-hmm. I not only have to worry about making sure all of my gear is properly secured, I also have to make sure that, you know, the, the third party suppliers that I'm using for my back end services are also secure, right? And if I'm in manufacturing, 
I got to make sure all of my factory systems are secure. And then I also have to make sure that, you know, the order systems that are connect the OEM the OEM providers are connecting to me are also secure, right? So it, it becomes this bigger issue where one small vulnerability, and I and I I don't mean to downplay it by saying small, but I mean if you think about it, it's one vulnerability in right. this Apache service mm-hmm. um, can have huge wide sweeping wide sweeping ramifications. Yeah, and that's 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 what I think is is kind of interesting and why this is catching on kind of as a news story also is the is the fact that it's it's you know that these servers and services are literally everywhere and mm-hmm. <laughs> and that we're increase you know that so many things are dependent on them and that it's a vulnerability like you you know like you mentioned that it's not uh it it doesn't mean somebody's actually exploited it in every case you know and probably relatively few cases but the threat is there and every time there's a a what, what's the thing that uh, they say uh, you have to minimize your threat surface? That was something I saw on a PowerPoint right. once in a security <laughs> yeah. thing. <laughs> now that's certainly a thing. <laughs> that made me, that made, um, well, it makes know, it sound like to me that you have to move into a smaller house, but I think that's something <laughs> uh, I, I might be conflating two items there. Well, you know, it's like we used to we used to have this whole analogy of you know the the hard outside or the crunchy outside with the soft gooey center for security, right? And that in itself has even gone away, right? Because if you look at so much of the interconnectivity that everybody has, um, you know, businesses, you know, from a B2B perspective, there's so much back-end connectivity that's going on in any major organization that that whole crunchy outside is, 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 it doesn't exist, right? I mean, really, you kind of have to look at it from, you know, instead of like looking at one big M&M, right, you have to look at it as a whole bag of M&Ms, right? And probably you want peanut M&Ms because they're crunchy on the outside. There's some chewy bit in the middle and then also hard on the inside, right? And, and now just I'm delicious. Hungry, I, want to I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, Kelsey, uh, let's let's maybe pivot to, do you, do you have some questions about the, the uh NTT's Global Threat Intelligence Center, or the report that they've um, done, maybe we can pick up there. I, I didn't want to, didn't want to derail the podcast entirely with uh, 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 me waxing on about my my own paranoia and and, and internet <laughs> threats and how the two are, are intricately linked, as I'm starting to understand. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean now now I'm thinking about some cybersecurity snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I know you all recently did your uh, global threat intelligence report, and you mentioned, um, you know, offline tests. That there's, um, you know, the annual version and, and some monthly updates as well. Um, looking back at since it's almost 2022 now, um, what did you feel like were some of the uh, biggest cybersecurity threats that stood out to you in 2021? Yeah, I think, you know, this it's it's good that we, you know, we're that we're talking about the the Apache vulnerability right now because it kind of highlights one of the one of the the topics I think if you if you look back on 2020 2020 and 2021, some of the issues were attacks against the supply chain, right? And I think that's that's a big thing that we we have to understand that we're dealing with, especially as we start seeing, you know, in this kind of post-COVID, well, post and intra COVID, you know, as we go back and forth between being fully locked down and being opened and yeah. Omicron and Megatron and on all of these variants <laughs> that are coming out. Transformers. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and um, is, you know, the, the supply chain is so vulnerable right now. Right. And, and my, my brother-in-law sent me this meme that he was talking about, you know, what the, um, 
the Black Friday was going to look like, and it had a bunch of people on jet skis riding out towards you know these shipping containers, right? And and it's kind of that because the the supply chain's already been so impacted by labor shortages, by you know the all the issues around quarantining and different rules of of isolation and all of that. That then you start throwing in throwing in tax like this Apache vulnerability or like something that we saw in Kaseya that weakens that already weak infrastructure, it starts to pile up into a big issue. Yeah. Also, um, I, I like the image of going out on the jet skis to <laughs> get our packages because there have been a few where I'm like, where is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I also enjoyed, um, you know, some of the the subtitles in this report as well, the ransomware everywhere. And uh, you guys called it public enemy number one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what, what are you seeing in terms of um, ransomware? How, how has that gotten worse? And I, I mean, I think we've talked about it before in the past, but um, what yeah. are your concerns around ransomware right now? Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you like the title. I, I always kind of struggle with, they, they always kind of reel me in. I get a little too cheeky when I'm writing. My I like it. I appreciate the, the cheekiness. <laughs> um, but, you know, ransomware is another area where I think we're going to see huge growth. I mean, we've already seen a lot of ransomware in the last few years, right? And um, ransomware has had this weird kind of progression where initially it was really just targeting um, you know, kind of small and medium businesses, right? And people, you know, the idea was like, you know, some small business that has maybe one computer that has everything on it, right. and of course they're going to pay, right? Yeah. Into growing into this bigger, you know, these bigger, broader attacks. Um, and, you know, and so you're seeing, and I, and I really think if I had to pinpoint one point in history, it would be the, um, the, the, the Hollywood hospital attack, ransomware attack of a few years ago really kind of brought ransomware into kind of the mainstream um, and really started kind of elevating what ransomware was doing. And so we've seen a lot of ransomware attacks and it becomes year over year, it becomes a huge, you know, bigger issue. Uh, but what I, the thing that worries me the most is when I start looking at the development of the ransomware as a service market, um, you know, and that's, that's the thing that I think is going to cause us the biggest trouble moving forward. It's that sort of, you know, the kind of making the the creation of the threat kind of more hyper efficient, I guess, and making it more of a an online service business model that suddenly it, you know, it's able to be deployed faster uh, via less skillful people, I guess. I right, right. Um, well, and that's, you know, you get, you know, if you think about it from a ransomware perspective, if somebody's going to launch a ransomware campaign, you know, they've got, you've got a group of folks that are working together, you know, to build the ransomware and to, to package it and figure out who to attack. Um, and, you know, you've got maybe five people that are working on it together to, to attack a major uh, organization. Uh, but then, you know, somebody said, all right, well, we're doing all this work and we're attacking these people and we're getting pretty good re- return on this. What if we went ahead and made it like a service, right? And so let's just go ahead and sell. It started with just reselling the ransomware and, you know, giving a little packet of instructions to say, okay, this is how you should deploy it. These are the vulnerabilities you should be using. And it's grown into a full like software as a service model where you can, you know, you can go in, you know, you can be a, you know, Joe script kitty that has no real technical chops to, to speak of, you can go in, sign up for an affiliate account, um, you know, download the ransomware, 
and launch it out. You can even actually just rent the, you know, the bots that are being used to distribute the ransomware. And it's either you pay a license model or you pay like a, you know, 50%, I'll take 50% of the returns and then the 50% go to the ransomware as a service. It's become this incredible market um, that really I think is, you know, is, is just as, as powerful as any other software as a service market that you see out there now. Mm-hmm. You also yeah. mentioned um, in the report uh, and, and something I think we've talked about before as well is that ransomware evolved from, you know, holding your data hostage to then also mm-hmm. threatening to publish it. But then in the report, you mentioned a third possibility of also having a denial of service um, attack on top of it. Like, you know, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, as if double dipping wasn't bad enough, right. they want to triple dip on that, right? Yeah. Right. So how do, how do you work with your um, customers on um, helping them to better protect and manage um, and secure their data? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, that's, that's the one that, that keeps me busy. <laughs> you know, as, as I mentioned before we started, I was hopping on call to call. Keeps and it's, you up it's, at night, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunately a lot. Um, but anyway, the, yeah, we're, I mean, it, this model of, you know, all of these different kind of uh, ways that ransomware can kind of attack somebody, right. From the, you know, just locking down the data to, you know, basically exfiltrating the data and holding that hostage as well. But then also, yeah, if you don't pay this ransom and that ransom, we're going to actually go ahead and do a denial of service so you can't get any more business or your your sites won't operate, right? So it's there, there's the the defense against, rans- against ransomware really takes a lot of different aspects, right? I wish there was one silver bullet. Um, if there were, I would love to have stock in that company. Um, <laughs> but the you know when I look at it from a a pr- like programmatic perspective, obviously you have to have the right security software in place, right? There's you know you need to be able to have something like a, uh, an endpoint de- detection and response, like an EDR uh, tool on the endpoints to be able to lock down systems immediately if they get infected. Um, you also have to have a good backup solution, right? You have to make sure that your backups are, are kept safe and that they're kept offline and kept secure. Because, you know, if you, once your system gets impacted by ransomware, if you don't pay the ransom, the only thing you can do is wipe that system and just start over again, right? Because it's not enough to just delete the, 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 the files that have been encrypted because you don't know what else is living on that system, right? So right. you have to have a good backup and restore um, program in place to be able to defend for when you eventually get hit by ransomware. And I don't even say if anymore, it's, it's when, right? I think, you know, I'm, I'm have basically been telling every one of my customers that at some point in the next year, if you haven't been hit, you will be hit by a ransomware. And most of them have at one point or another had some sort of outbreak. Uh, but you really do have to have these, the kind of cutting edge technology to be able to defend against it. But on top of that, the, the number one thing, I think even beyond any technical solution is awareness, right? Is, is making sure that all of your employees are aware of what a phishing email looks like, or, you know, even yeah. know what the word phishing is, right? Um, it's, it's, it, that'll go so far about around towards protecting you against ransomware. I, I think that's also the defense against phishing is a, is a great point to get into because that's another thing that I've seen 
as we went from, you know, from lockdown to offices opening up to now we're kind of in this in-between state where, you know, more more people are working from home more often, but also just more business is happening outside the office than it right. ever has. In that whole um, kind of transition, the phishing emails and the phishing text messages and stuff that I'm getting both at home and at work are not only really specific now, you know, mm-hmm. ab- about specific services like, you know, medical insurance and, um, you know, oh, you're some of them, interestingly enough, are cybersecurity related, you know, saying like right. that this service is going to expire and that service is going to expire. But they're coming at at like uh, they're they're coming in the middle of the workday. The timing is interesting because they're they're kind of happening right in the in the flow of all the other emails that you're getting of different processes you need to, you know, if you're, you know, right. at any random company, you might be logged into seven or eight different things. And then you get one of these emails. It's like, oh, hey, we need to verify this. Can you click here? You know, and I just feel like if people aren't really on their toes all the time about phishing emails, you know, they're getting pretty good and they mm-hmm. are happening. They're not just happening at two in the morning now. They're not just being right. sent out, you know, from some server in South Africa, like they actually are um, coming, you know, in the business day, you know, like mm-hmm. in a more, in a more kind of contextually relevant time. And I think they're more dangerous that way, especially as we're, we're, you know, as, as our work lives are becoming a little bit more mobile and maybe even, uh, I don't know, unsettled. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really a question. I just talked for a while. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm not a good podcaster. Um, but but is, is there anything like else a little, you can little fishing therapy? Like oh right. <laughs> is there I anything else you can concerns. add to uh, you know the defense of of phishing emails other than just training people on you know what they look like and and mm-hmm. you know and what to do about them? Yeah, I mean, really, it's you know, I. I always say like you have to chant and it's, this is a reference that totally dates me but you have to channel your inner scully right like from from the x-files you have to be you have to be suspicious of everything right and and that's really you know the only way to go about it right i think we get so many and i know i'm inundated you guys are probably have so many phone calls and emails about your car's extended warranty or or whatever right where Gosh, even yeah. though they're not even <laughs> though they're not like an actual phishing attempt, they're just spam, right? And so mm-hmm. I think we are getting so inundated um, with spam and with just so many messages. Like Phil, to your point, I mean, they're, all of it's coming in all in just kind of one big wave that really the only way to deal with it is just to be like suspicious of everything. Um, actually, I remember, um, you know, we had, we'd gone on a trip when we were living in Japan and I had taken a bunch of pictures and I promised my my mother-in-law that I would send her pictures of, you know, from, from the trip. And I, so I put them all in, you know, in a, um, in an online folder and sent her a link to it just from my phone, not, you know, not really doing anything, just said, okay, send a link. And then I got a, a, a text a little bit later and she said, Hey, did you send me a link? to something. And I I just remember being so happy that like, you know, she saw just this unsolicited email with a long link that looked like, you know, I mean, to the normal person, they look like it looks like gobbledygook, right? Like just a long like thread. And that was her first thought was like, I need to verify what this is, right? And for me, that was a big win, right? Because I feel like if if my mother in law, who's not that tech savvy, right, has has heard me enough say, look, be suspicious of everything, 
and it eventually works, right? And I think that's what we really have to make sure that we're doing, not only just in our professional life, but also in our personal life, is, is to make sure that everyone understands that, you know, the the bad guys are out there and they're using phishing and they're using they're using things to basically try and get you to click on something to give either give you away information or they're going to try to infect your computer and make turn you into one of these bots that ends up being used as part of a ransomware campaign. Mm-hmm. By way of yeah. contrast, my mother-in-law is uh, thinks she's friends with the king of Monte Carlo and she's in, <laughs> due for a big inheritance at some point. What? Nice. We see it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little of um, uh, in Verizon's um, their DVIR report where they talk about how um, data uh, credentials are the, are the glazed donuts of, um, I, I think, of uh, what bad actors want. Like, they're uh-huh. like, oh, they're so yummy. <laughs> Speaking of, I feel like we've had a lot of food analogies on this podcast, so I'll just keep Probably going with it. But... <laughs> Yeah, just to to keep your, you know, you have to keep those things kind of close to the chest and, and be suspicious, um, like you said, of anything. Just con- have that frame of mind of, of does this look normal um, or out of the ordinary? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's something that any organization can do. Um, I think that the, sometimes security training can seem a bit overwhelming to like to an organization. Um, but I think what people need to realize is that you don't need to train all of your, you know, all of your employees to be, you know, cybersecurity ninjas, right? That's not, that's not the ask, right? All we're asking is that, you know, I mean, that sounds like least, fun though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, it absolutely is. Um, but really just if they can just be aware of what the, the concerns are and what the dangers are, then, you know, that can actually really help. And And this is something that, a lot of organizations have had to deal with a lot, you know, over the last couple of years, because, you know, I think Phil, you mentioned it earlier as this, this push to the cloud and in this hybrid work environment has progressed um, a lot. There's, there's a lot more gaps that the cyber criminals kind of, kind of slip into um, to, to, to breach, you know, organizations and, and to really kind of get that ransomware uh, spreading around or get that, get somebody to click that malicious link because, everybody's working in a, an environment that they're not used to. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, whole, the, it, the whole, uh, the whole, uh, I guess, instability of like when the office is open, when it's closed, you know, can we go in that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's changed the game, you know, just in, in, in so many ways because people are commute patterns are changing. And like you said, people are just, yeah. um, they're papering over problems. They're not really, you know, thinking through, uh, you know, uh, 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 s- some of the processes because they just assume everything's temporary. So, right. Um, you know, why, why, why spend a lot of time and money on it? Let's just, let's just get on to the next thing. Uh, Kelsey, sorry, I just about cut you off and I think, I think we're just about out of time. So go ahead with a, maybe a last That's okay. question. I was just, um, yeah, you mentioned training and I was wondering, um, you know, when you're working with your customers, um, how, how important are those, um, kind of trainings for, you know, just general staff outside of the security team. Um, I know I've gone through some of those before where it's like, which one of these looks suspicious? And, <laughs> you know, what's what's suspicious about this email? And right. um, I guess how effective is that versus, you know, making it easy to perhaps report something that's suspicious? Um, yeah. And, and Kelsey, I appreciate you keeping us on track. I really, I really do. Because I will ramble on. 
for, for quite some time. No, um, no I, I actually, I feel that those sort of trainings, those kind of, you know, the, the occasional like, you know, training spam or training phishing email that you send out, um, goes a lot further than the report this as a, as a phishing email. Right. Because I'll admit, like, I, I don't see a lot of organizations where people are very on the ball about reporting. Right. Um, sometimes it's because they think, oh, well, I, I don't have time. And they, this is, mm -hmm. they just get, they get so many other ones that this isn't going to make a difference. Right. Or they see like their Gmail where they keep reporting spam, but they still keep getting spam. Right. And it just, <laughs> they're like, oh, it can't, if it's not working at Gmail, it's not going to work here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think on, on also some people feel like, oh, have I done something wrong? Right. Because I've got a phishing right. email. I, I, did I sign up my name somewhere or whatever? And so there's a little bit of panic in that. Um, so I think that the, the, you should have absolutely should have the programs to say report, you know, a, a phishing attempt or, or something like that. But I think really those, those kind of soft sell programs around training your employees to understand what a phishing email looks like goes so much further than the click this to report it will go it, it, like any day. Yeah. Okay. And maybe I'm a little, you know, a nerd here, but I think those are kind of fun where I'm like, Ooh, which part of this email looks wrong? <laughs> Getting, uh, I don't, uh, I don't mind those too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I think it is kind of funny when they send us the ones, uh, uh, when, when they try to trip us up in the middle of the workday, I, I got annoyed the first time it happened. But then after a while, I thought, I bet there, I, I bet this, this could lead to all kinds of inner office bedding and, and like a whole, oh, yeah. different, a whole like side economy that we haven't even explored. So I'm really happy about it, actually. <laughs> you, want, you want to create jobs, like see how, <laughs> see how the, uh, the, the cybersecurity uh, training, uh, you know, a failure rate goes and, you know, maybe have that on a big, big board with some dollar signs next to it. Actually, I, I have terrible ideas today. Let me just, let me just uh, disavow everything I just said. Uh, anyway, hey, I'm already um, working the, on it, Phil. So you know. <laughs> to, to, to bring it all back around, uh, the, uh, it's uh, uh, NTT's uh, Global Threat Intelligence Center. They put out a uh, monthly threat report. The December 2021 version is out and uh, the lead article in it is uh, Cybercrime's Big Hits of 2021. And that is written by none other than Bruce Snell, our guest today. Bruce, thanks so much for uh, being part of the podcast. I do appreciate it. Kelsey and Phil, thank you very much for having me. Uh -huh.